0: May not be suitable for everyone. We talk about cults and murders, and due to the nature of our podcast, may use harsh language at times. Viewer's discretion is advised. And also, we can't pronounce anything. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Cults and Crime, a true crime podcast covering cults, crime, and everything in between. I'm one of your hosts, Jamie. And I'm your other host, Nicole. So, did you guys guess the episode? i don't think they did i didn't see anything did you um i don't think i saw anything all right guys so we are going to be covering tara calico so with any delay let's dive in tara calico was 19 years old when she set out on her daily 35 mile bike ride in Berlin, new mexico she was very active and super hard-working girl she enjoyed running and playing sports but she was also a full-time student at New Mexico College where she majored in psychology, just like my co-host, Jamie. Psychology is a pretty tough major, so doing all that on top of it, she must have been impressive. Well, even that, she did a daily 34-mile bike ride. Well, yeah, that's what I was saying. On top of like that, doing a psychology degree on top of it, like, that's a lot. See, Tara rode the same path along New Mexico State Road 47 almost every single day, and was sometimes accompanied by her mother, Patty, but Patty had recently stopped going with Tara. She had said that she thought that somebody was following them and had asked Tara to bring pepper spray. I'm pretty sure Tara gave the same reaction we would give our mom when she told us to be careful because people were gonna kidnap us. An eye roll and I'll be fine. Stop worrying mom, you're being overprotective. This day, Tara had gotten up a little later than usual, heading out the door just after 9.30 a.m., telling her mom that if she wasn't back by 12, to come find her and pick her up or else she'd be late to her tennis class. And she had also used her mom's bike, which was a, just a hot pink mountain bike <laughs> instead of her own just because she had a flat tire. 12 rolls by and Tara was nowhere to be found. Her mother left around 12.05 to set out to pick her hair up. She drove up and down State Road 47 looking for her. And I started to get concerned. Maybe Tara had got hit by a car. Maybe she'd fallen off her bike and got injured. But what had happened to Tara ended up being far worse. Penny called police at this point, and the very first thing they did was search road 47 as well. They went up and down, up and down, but she just wasn't there. And then they began to search surrounding areas for Tara, but found nothing. They started talking to witnesses. Several claimed to see Tara riding her mom's bike, and a couple saw a white or light gray pickup truck with a camping shell on the back following Tara. They also stated that Tara didn't see the truck possibly because she had her headphones in, attached to her favorite thing in the whole entire world, her Walkman. So I'm gonna go into a little bit of a rant here. I absolutely hate after someone goes missing, all these people come forward. Oh, well, I saw some guy following her. Oh, well, I saw some guy grab her and shove her into his truck. Why did you not call the police? Like, how are people seeing this stuff and just being like, okay, guess I'll go back to watering my lawn. You know, we got the rose competition next week. Gotta make sure my roses are watered. Well, if you see something, say something, guys. Exactly. I can guarantee you that a cop would much rather you come forward and it not be anything than something actually happen and have no one have reported it. And I totally agree. The very next day, Tara's mom wanted to search the bike route again, hoping to find any clues about where Tara could be. This is where, just a couple miles from her home, she found Tara's cassette tape. And near that, there was a bike skid mark and tire tracks. This Tara's mom, Patty, was a huge sign of a struggle, but the police really didn't think so. For nine months, the trail went cold, almost like she'd been plucked right out of thin air. That is until more than 12,000 miles away in Florida. A woman had exited her car at a convenience store and she noticed a white van parked right beside her. Inside, there was a man. This man was white, mid-30s, and had a mustache. When she returned to her car, the van was gone, but a photo was left behind. The one picked up the photo and was horrified by what she'd found. The photo contained two children, one boy and one girl. Both were strained behind their backs with duct tapes on their mouths. This picture is horrifying to see and we're gonna post it on our Instagram for you guys. But you can look at it and you see the fear in these kids' eyes. Obviously this photo is really traumatic and if this is something that's gonna make you uncomfortable, we're gonna keep it covered so you have the option to look or the option not to look. The photo was analyzed by police where they found the photo taken was newer. They had been using a brand new film that had just come out that May. So it could not be more than a month old. The image made national news, being distributed everywhere. When Tara's mom, Patty, saw this photo, she knew it was her daughter. See, Tara had a scar on her leg. Tara had gotten this scar during a car accident, and in this picture, the girl had the same exact scar. Tara's mom called the police. The family of the missing boy came forward as well. They believed the boy to be nine-year-old Michael Henley. He was on a camping trip with his father and some other family members in Zuni Mountains. Just about 20 minutes after they arrived, he disappeared. They thought he had wandered away from their campsite and began searching for him, but couldn't find him anywhere. And the search became even harder when a snowstorm hit the area, but both families knew it was them. So Nicole, what is Zuni Mountains? So Zuni Mountains is in New Mexico as well, and it's a mountain range that you can obviously go camping at. <laughs> the police had the photo analyzed to see the boy and girl in the photo were Michael and Tara. They originally had it looked at by Scotland Yard who determined there was an 85% chance the photo was authentic and the people in the photo was Michael and Tara. But another analysis done by Los Alamones analyzed that it wasn't them. Then the FBI did their own analysis and found it was inconclusive. They were able to find something else in the photo. It was a book right next to the girl in the photo, and on that book was a phone number. However, they weren't able to get much off the number itself because they couldn't find a complete match to the numbers. What do you mean they can't find a complete match to the numbers? Well, they didn't have all of the numbers, just a couple of them. They couldn't see. The picture was pretty grainy. So without having the whole entire phone number, they weren't able to figure out who it was because I guess they were looking at hundreds and thousands of combinations. Yeah, at that point, you're just kind of picking and choosing and hoping for the best. Yeah, exactly. Years later, another picture popped up. This time in California, the picture was just of the girl duct taped on her mouth and she had a blue striped pillow behind her this girl had brown hair with a cowlick and a lazy eye both things Tara had when Patty saw this photo she was convinced it was Tara in June of 1990 the body of Michael was found just a few miles away from the campsite he had disappeared from they were able to conclude it was Michael by his dental records and after examining the body they pronounced the cause of death hypothermia and ruled out any foul play a tip did come forward about Tara The witness came forward and claimed that they saw Tara the day she disappeared. She was harassed by two boys, and one ended up hitting her and knocking her out unconscious. The boys had panicked and took her away, and when she woke up, she started screaming. She claimed she was going to call the police, and the boys didn't know what to do, so they murdered her and buried her body. They never found her body, and the police did not come forward with the suspect's names. Who gave the tip? It was an anonymous tip. In 2013, a task force was opened to look at Tara's disappearance. 22 pages of a police report were released as public record naming three suspects Lever Chavez, Dave Silva, and Lawrence Ramirez Jr. Were those the boys from the tip? Possibly they didn't give the names. In the pages, they also talked about the gravesite, but there was never any charges for murder. There was also a documentary filmmaker. They went to school with Tara and wanted to do a documentary about her disappearance, and she had filed her police report about being followed and harassed. The suspects were named and they were Leroy Chavez and Dave Silva. So that's the original suspects in the case as well, except for Ramirez who had died from suicide. On October 26, 2013, they held an interview with former sheriff deputy with the Valencia County Sheriff's Office. He had followed up on multiple leads and one lead was an interview with a man named Henry Brown. Henry claimed he was dying and wanted to get something off of his chest. He claimed around the time of Terry's disappearance, Laura Romero Jr. lived in a trailer home with his father as a rental property just down the street from Henry. He then explained that they had a makeshift basement underneath the trailer home where they would party and smoke weed. Dave Silva and another friend that was very tall with red hair would come to the house and sometimes he would join them to party. One evening they were drinking and smoking and he had a weird feeling. That's when he looked down and noticed a grave wrapped in blue tarp. You said he looked down and noticed a grave wrapped in a tarp? You I mean, a body wrapped in a tarp? Well, that's the actual transcripts he gave. And from my understanding, what that would mean would be a grave. So something underground, probably dug, wrapped in a tarp. I would imagine a tarp on top. Um, I think I need to ask the question again, and I still don't understand. Like, a grave to you. me is like someone's, like a place where you buried a hole, put a hole in the ground, and then have a body in that hole and then dug it and then put dirt over the top i'm just like how is it wrapped because it's wrapped and how do you wrap up like a place you know i understand that but also i cannot give you a better description than what he said Okay. so when he looked down and noticed a grave wrapped in blue tarp he said that they'd begun talking about tara and how they had raped and killed her they said they were driving one of the older guys trucks that day and they knew the bike path that tara had taken every morning They told Henry they hit her with a truck and placed her in the back. Then they took her to a gravel pit where they raped her repeatedly. According to Henry, Tara got and I quote this, Falsy, stood up and said she was going to make sure they all went to jail. Lawrence went to his truck, produced a knife, and stabbed her. Henry told police that they had told him they were going to kill him if they said anything. And since he was on his deathbed, he had nothing to lose. One other reason why he didn't come forward to police was because Ramirez was the sheriff's son. And they speculated that's how he got away with it. That all... Sounds so weird. Like, that whole section just sounds weird. I don't understand. You're gonna... Like, one, why this specific girl? Why are you watching her specifically? Two, you want to rape this woman. Why is the best way for you to do that to hit her with your truck? There's a huge group of you guys. Why don't you just grab her? I don't think rape was the motive for this story. See, Tara had dated one of the boys previously and knew they had broken up. And they wanted to get back at her. And I'm not sure if... The whole goal was rape or was it to murder her? Because one, you don't go driving around with a knife in your truck unless you're planning on using it. And another witness did come forward eventually with a very similar story as well. With no evidence, this is all circumstantial. They closed the task force and the case is still unsolved. So these two claims about the boys raping and murdering Tara is in direct contradictory with her being in those photos. So I have to wonder if that's not Tara Who is it? And who's that boy? Patty died in 2006 after suffering several strokes after locating from New Mexico to Florida with her new husband, John. Friends and family say her daughter was always on her mind, and she'd never given up hopes of finding her daughter. She and her husband, John, even had a bedroom they kept for Tara, placing birthday and Christmas gifts inside. And even after the stroke, Patty would see a young girl on a bicycle and point and write her daughter's name, and her husband would have to tell her it wasn't Tara. Tara's older brother, Chris, told People Magazine he believed the stress of his sister's disappearance and lack of resolution significantly shortened her mother's life. He, and I quote, the police would send photos of every possibility, including pictures of bodies. Every time my mom got an envelope with the newest picture, she had to look at them. She couldn't not look, but I think it tore up every single time, unquote. The very first Polaroid told Patty her daughter might still be alive. She survived whatever and whoever abducted her. But, like I said, that's not the only theory about her disappearance. Either Tara is the girl in that photograph or she was brutally raped and murdered and has never left New Mexico. I have a question, well, a few questions. First off, where's the father in all this? You heard about her mom and then later on her stepdad. Where's her dad? Well, her parents got divorced, so he's not really in the picture at all in any of this. Oh, so he, like, took off, has no part in her life? Yeah, no part in her life. If you look at any articles about her, he's not in there once. Was anyone ever worried that he got her? I never saw anything about him being a suspect or a person of interest in this case, so I'm gonna say no. But a lot of this case is pretty secretive. All the information I had pretty much came from that 22 pages that they came out as public record. The police have been pretty hush-hush about everything else. Another one is, if the mom knew her and her daughter were being followed on that bike trail, how did she let her daughter continue to go on the bike trail, and especially continue to let her to go alone? Well, Tara's 19. And like most 19-year-olds, I'm sure they feel like they're adults. And maybe her mom felt like she can't tell Tara what to do. She did ask her to bring pepper spray with her, and Tara declined. But, I you know, I'm not a mom, but I can only assume that that choice not to go with her and that choice to not fight her further haunts Tara's mom or haunted Tara's mom until her death. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that's just the one thing that rings in her head is like, if only I had gone with her, if only I insisted she go somewhere else and at least change her route up. Yeah. I know, I think a lot of police officers or like criminal justice professionals will tell you, like the most dangerous thing you can do is be in a routine. Well, it's easy for you to get stalked when they know exactly where you're going to be every single day. Well, you know, think about it this way. It's not just being stalked. There's a lot of serial killers that will watch their victims for days before or even, you know, months. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's one of those things where it's not about just being stalked, like you said. It's about getting murdered. It's about getting raped. It's about somebody following you for a purpose. Those purposes are always never good. Yeah, and people who like case houses in order to rob houses, they'll sit there and they'll watch you in and out, in and out. And if they know you're not gonna be there during, you know, X and X time window, that's when they're gonna break in. Well, was it ever thought that she could be a runaway? Not in my not in my research, no. She's a really happy kid. So, Jamie, I have a question for you. Okay. So it's time to speculate wildly. My favorite part. So What's one of these scenarios do you think is the most possible or do you have another theory on your own? Honestly, I don't know if I 100% like either of these. First off, the picture just sounds so far-fetched. And there's just so much speculation around whether or not you know, it's a photograph of her, it's a photograph of someone else. It was taken willingly. It was taken against someone's will. It was a kidnapped child. It was someone who was just part of of a prostitution ring you just you don't know well they had the photo analyzed by three different people like i stated earlier one said 85 percent chance yes one said definitely no and the other said inconclusive so we don't know exactly and i'd love to you know think that the mom would know but after so long maybe she just wants to find something that proves where her daughter is and that she's still alive and that's what a lot of people speculate as well, especially since the little boy Michael's body was found and it was found that he died from hypothermia, which coincides with the camping, not him being in that van. Yeah, and with the boys, it just the whole thing sounds weird. Like the explanation sounded weird. They said wrapped up a grave. Like that doesn't make sense to me. If anyone else that makes sense to, you, please DM us on our Instagram, Cults and Crime Pod, on our Instagram. I'm really curious to see if you guys could explain it better than Nicole can. But personally, I just think it doesn't make sense, and that's why it can't be explained. Well, Jamie, I'm just quoting from his transcripts. I can't give you an explanation or details about it either. Because it doesn't make sense. Well, I think you're really, really harboring on this one detail. I feel like that's a totally plausible and more likely scenario. Well, in my mind, I'm like, did you have a body wrapped up and maybe he said meant body when he said grave, like a dead Maybe it was a tarp on top of a grave site, but like wrapped up around a grave, like you just have a tarp with a bunch of dirt inside of it. So my wild speculation is that Henry Brown was involved. This is his way of trying to say that he didn't kill somebody without, you know, he didn't want to give himself up, but he also was on his deathbed and he wanted to maybe give some closure to other people. And I think so because somebody else came forward too, an anonymous source saying, you know, basically corroborating the story. I hate anonymous sources because you just, you don't know what their motivation is. If you know who's telling you that information, you could know that's the person who is a murder suspect and they're trying to show off or, you know, take suspicion off of them. Yeah, I totally agree with that one. Let's say this guy knew something and he felt guilty about it. And maybe it was one of his buddies and he felt really, really guilty. So he, on his deathbed, comes up with a story that distanced him from it because maybe he saw something he didn't want to see but didn't want to give his buddy's name. So... when his buddy says, oh yeah, definitely happened for sure. Wink, wink. As an anonymous source and he's the guy who killed her. Yeah, totally. I do have a rumor for you and I wasn't able to corroborate it and I didn't want to put it in the podcast but it does give more validity to the boy's killing Tara. So, I did mention that Ramirez had died from suicide early in the podcast, right? Some people claim that he had a letter. In this letter, he implemented himself, Leroy, and Dave, all as murder suspects for Tara, saying that he couldn't handle it any longer. But the letter was never found, so I can't confirm it. You know, it could be, it could be factual, and the sheriff's still trying to cover it up, or it could just be another town, small town rumor. So there is a $20,000 reward for Tara and on the FBI for any information leading to her body or where she could possibly be, but without anybody coming forward, this is still a cold case. All right, Jamie, so we're going to be switching to cults next week, and we're going to do some hints for you guys. Do you have some hints for us? I do. California. Vampire. Tell me why I immediately thought of Twilight, even though I know that doesn't make any sense at all. Especially when you consider Twilight was shot in Washington. Forks, Washington, to be exact. But that's one of the most, I don't know, I guess, recent vampire movies. So I, I don't know, for whatever reason, I really, that was my immediate reaction. <laughs> Maybe because I was a gigantic Twilight nerd in middle school. Who wasn't? All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Hey, Colts and Crime fans. If you like listening to us discuss charismatic leaders and husbands who definitely did it, then one of the easiest ways for you to support us is by subscribing to us on whatever listening platform you're using and giving us a five-star review. We love all of our listeners. Production by Jamie. Production and editing by Nicole. Our intro music is Wrong by Dan Henning. Our background music is In Albany, New York by the 129ers.